the number one economic biohack that you might not be getting quite right. Hey, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is my deep dive on fasting. I am here reviewing Dave Asprey's recent book, Fast This Way. So if you fast, you're definitely going to want to listen to this in completion because I'm going to share some cool things with you to make fasting all the more of a empowering practice. If you don't fast, please, please start. Now is a great time. You're going to learn here about all the really cool benefits of it. And like I said, I regard this as the number one economic biohack because it saves you quite a bit of money, actually. I'm going to explain here. And I'll ask you to share this podcast video around. I'll ask you to give it a upvote wherever you are watching me, listening to me. I'll ask you to leave a comment on this because fasting is not the most sexy subject. It's not the most uh, headline grabbing subject, but it really does empower health and mindset. And I I want to spread the word about it. I want to I want to get it, get it out there. I'd love for more people to habituate fasting into their lifestyle and experience all the benefits of it. So if I can uh, persuade you to uh, do a few few clicks, swipes, leave a comment on this, that gives the uh, algorithm, all of the uh, signals that it needs to push this just a little bit further. So let's dive in. I've been fasting for years. Like I said, it's a major economic biohack slash life hack. So I decided to read Dave Asprey's recent book on the topic I'll suggest that you do the same. It gets five solid stars from me. And this book, it might actually surprise you. It's kind of a memoir, actually. The book is punctuated by vignettes from a grueling and transformative four-day fast that the author did alone in a cave in the Arizona desert, which just sounds like a like an awesome experience, right? Well, it sounds awesome to me. Maybe that sounds uh, off maybe that sounds awful to some people. Oh, 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 and before I get into this review, I have to mention something funny is my wife keeps reminding me that she wants to get a uh, a proof of life piece of evidence from Dave Asprey of Circus Parade. And Circus Parade is a little lamb that Dave posted on his Instagram. And he was just 
he was uh, coddling this, this adorable little little lamb that my uh, wife was uh, cooing over on his Instagram. And we have not seen circus parades since. And my wife is uh, deeply concerned that uh, Dave may have uh, eaten circus circus parade, made a made veal out of that, that little guy. We're hoping not. We're hoping not, but uh, if Dave sees this, or if you can let Dave know, we would really like to get a, a proof of life that uh, Circus Parade is, is growing and thriving and uh, bounding through the meadows there in, uh, in Dave's farm, wherever, wherever he is. Just, just let us know. Let us know, Dave, okay? All right, so let's start with uh, asking why does fasting work from the book quote. How can fasting do so many good things for you? The answer is simple. Your body is already packed full of repair and rejuvenation mechanisms. Thousands of years, no, millions of years, no, Billions of years of evolution have shaped them inside of us. Your ancestors have run the gauntlet of death and extinction. You and I are the survivors of an inconceivably brutal winnowing process. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have all those health-preserving cells and molecules. All that fasting does is remove the dietary impediments we put in our own way and allows us to take maximal advantage of the gifts evolution has given us. Fasting puts us in control of a 4 billion year old evolutionary process. And there's a fundamental difference between hunger and craving. Hunger is a biological message, and it is something that you can control. Craving is a psychological need, and it is something that tries to control you. The truth is you can go a long time without eating, and you won't suffer for it. In fact, you will thrive. And so fasting is an amygdala hack. It's a fear hack, quote, but as essential as the amygdala may be, it can also be a source of irrational, destructive fear. Boy, we see that in the world these days, don't we? It's a major contributor to the voice in your head that says you must die if you do something you're afraid of such as going to a job interview, ending a bad relationship, speaking in public, or simply skipping a few meals. Intermittent fasting enables you to put the amygdala and the whole reptilian part of your brain in its place so that you can be more fully human, more fully yourself, less burned by your fears. And this is why I have some uh, dating clients, typically young men, and they all seem to suffer from approach anxiety. It seems to be the uh, universal uh, single male condition. 
and I tell them, man, do fasting and do cold showers. Do things that signal to your body that, that you might die. Do things that, that signal to your body that, oh boy, we're taking on a, a real challenge right now. We're, we're doing something risky. But you're going to survive these things. You're going to get through a 24-hour fast. You're going to get through uh, a cold shower. And what you do by this is you, you bring that stoicism deep, deep, deep within you. And you start training your amygdala to properly filter out the things to actually be afraid of. Next Cool point from the book. This is a line I'm going to be using. Fasting really is the best spice. Quote, when you end a fast from anything, it makes that substance or that experience much more appreciated. It causes heightened pleasure and brings easy gratitude into your life. And I second this. Fasting is reliably a culinary hedonism hack. Before I'm going to have a meal that I know that I'm going to love, uh, typically on uh, date nights, uh, me and my wife have something really succulent. Or uh, maybe if I'm going out to a restaurant that I love, I'll get in a 24-hour fast. And this just multiplies the pleasure when I finally sit down to, uh, to chow down on uh, what I've been so hotly anticipating. Next point, fasting for COVID resilience. Uh, Adrian Barnowski, an endocrinologist at Duke University School of Medicine, and her colleagues confirmed that intermittent fasting helps prevent insulin resistance. And here's why this is really relevant to COVID resilience. As is explained and detailed in Dr. Mercola's recent book, The Truth About COVID-19, which I also reviewed, insulin resistance is a major risk factor that puts you in danger of a catastrophic case of the Wu flu. And insulin resistance is a huge problem in modernity. It's uh, a, a significant proportion of the population is uh, pre-diabetic at risk of diabetes. And there are all these fancy supplements out there. You can take NMN, pterostilben, resveratrol, uh, I think metformin to modulate your insulin resistance, or you can fast. And fasting works pretty awesome to make your neurobiology, your metabolism get smarter about how much insulin it needs. So if you're, uh, if you're fretting about COVID, please, please do habituate that uh, fasting and Share that with uh, friends and family that are fretting a whole lot about COVID while they are uh, enjoying their uh, second bowl of ice cream. Okay, 
as you might expect, bulletproof coffee is recommended relentlessly throughout the book, which I don't have a problem with. Uh, bulletproof coffee uh, can be a game changer for fasting. I drink bulletproof style coffee almost every day, and it reliably powers me through my daily intermittent fast. From the book, he describes, wake up in the morning and drink a cup of bulletproof coffee, black coffee, a dollop of grass-fed butter, and a teaspoon or more of C8 MCT oil. It's the best latte you'll ever drink. And you don't have to buy bulletproof uh, products, which I don't think are even Dave Asprey's products anymore. What you can do is just add butter. You want to get the best butter you can get your hands on and MCT, that C8 oil, to quality organic coffee and your fast will be a whole lot less arduous. If you haven't tried bulletproof coffee, bulletproof style coffee yet, what, what, are, what are you waiting for? You've heard of it a million times and it really is pretty delicious. Next, the book uh, has a lot on dieting because uh, dieting and fasting, you know, they're dealing with food. They go together. Okay, so are you addicted? Quote, two of the most common biological addictions are to wheat, gluten, and dairy products. You may think you don't have to worry about them because you're not allergic to either one. Truth is, you probably have no idea what effect they're having on you. How many times have you gone three days without eating wheat or dairy protein? Butter contains a negligible amount of protein. Both gluten and dairy products uh, have known inflammatory effects. And Dave writes on fasting versus dieting. Here's another example of the stark difference between dieting and fasting. Based on an experiment I ran on myself, I found this interesting. 10 years ago, while I was doing research for, for my 2014 book, The Bulletproof Diet, the first big book that described ketosis with intermittent fasting, I decided to test my theory that the effects of fasting are more powerful than the effects of calorie consumption. I intentionally did everything wrong from the standpoint of the calorie counting police. I ate a staggering 4,500 calories a day and kept doing it for a month. But for breakfast, I had only bulletproof coffee with tons of butter to raise the number of calories in it. I cut my sleep to less than five hours a night, which triggers obesity. I stopped ex exercising, but I continued my program of intermittent fasting as I did all those things. By the straight Ansel Keys style accounting of the sicko diet, I should have gained 20 pounds. I was hoping I'd gain only three pounds or so. That would have poked a big hole in the 
sicko uh, that I'd feel vindicated. The results were even more startling. I actually lost weight. I felt amazing. And, uh, okay, sicko, this is an acronym for calories in, calories out, diets. Quote, the goal of diet culture is to make you feel as though a better you is just out of reach. That's one of the many reasons why the calories in, calories out model, commonly abbreviated CICO, or you could just call it sicko because it's a... <laughs> it, it might make you sick, should be relegated to the dustbin of failed science. This approach treats your body as though it's a meat robot, when in reality it's a dynamic system that responds to calories differently based on their science, the time they're consumed, and the unique physiological makeup of the person consuming them. Yet the myth lives on, leaving obesity, shame, and suffering in its wake. And in a recent book review that I did of the Blue Zones book, which was very, very popular, the book seems to hold calorie restriction in real high esteem, and I disagreed with the author on that point. I said, I think I'm going to enjoy big meals. I think I'm going to enjoy satiety, but I'm going to balance that with fasting. And as a result, well, I can report that my weight has stayed very, very stable. Me and my wife do intermittent fasting every day, and we've gained no weight as we've advanced through our 30s. Even during the COVID lockdowns, when the gyms were closed, we, we didn't stop eating food. In fact, we enjoyed plenty of food during the COVID lockdowns. Uh, didn't get a whole lot of exercise other than the horizontal type, and we gained no weight. I think that has a lot to do with our fasting habit. Next, the book addresses the eat small meals myth. I remember hearing, hearing about this when I was a kid. Quote, a great many diet plans advise you to eat every three hours to keep your metabolism humming along at warp speed so you can lose weight. If you follow that advice, the minute you hit the three-hour mark, you start feeling the slightest bit hungry. You answer the ghrelin response and eat something. If you don't, cravings kick in, your blood sugar levels start to drop, and you yell at someone nearby because you feel like crap. You're feeling hypoglybitchy. Your biggest question at three hours isn't whether to wait a few more hours before eating, but what type of calories you'll be putting in your body for your next meal. This is a bad idea because your body never gets a break and constantly high blood sugar levels created by constant snacking ages you. So yes, hopefully the eat small meals thing can be uh, relegated 
to the dustbin of uh, of dieting dogma as well. And of course, one of the reasons why it's popular is just because it encourages snacking. And yeah, I, I would love to be snacking on something tasty every couple of hours. That would be a nice emotional eating, right? I, I think that's why it probably one of the main reasons why it persists. Next, fasting is primal. The history of human evolution is also the history of food. Believe it or not, it's the history of fasting too. Our bodies and brains are inherently adapted to it. Fasting either with no food or with a vanishingly few calories from plants was simply a part of our ancestors' lifestyles. They had no choice. This habit of eating and then fasting continued for not just decades or centuries or even a few millennia. Humans have lived a lifestyle of fasting of feasting and fasting for almost 290,000 years, perhaps even longer than that. And interestingly, the modern routine of breakfast, lunch, and dinner is less than two centuries old. Starting in the early 19th century, with the advent of the Industrial Revolution, people in the Western world all began eating more or less on the same schedule. Before that, the concept of time wasn't as regimented. You didn't need to know exactly what hour of the day it was. Farmers just cared about when the sun rose and set. After the Industrial Revolution, though, a pocket watch became an incredibly valuable item because it told you when the trains were going to arrive and depart. Trains ran on precise schedules. Then factories and stores ran on precise schedules. Our new connection to time, which was driven largely by train schedules, led us to start planning our meals for specific times each day. We scheduled our food around trains, not our actual hunger or the needs of our bodies. That's fascinating, isn't it? Okay, next three types of fasting that you're going to uh, want to try. First, intermittent fasting, quote, the most workable intermittent fasting schedule for all but the most extreme is to skip breakfast, then eat lunch and dinner. It seems extravagant to call such a straightforward guideline a biohack, but that's really what it is. Creating an eating rhythm that supports your sleep rhythm and the circadian rhythm that underpins all of it. Don't consume your nightly meals too late. The breakfast skipping approach to fasting is very pragmatic. And the book repeats something else that I learned from EMF by Dr. McCullough. Quote, ideally, 
you should always leave at least three hours between your meal and the time you go to sleep. So you don't really want to do kind of like a Southern European style, really late night, uh, 11 p.m. style dinners, uh, and you don't want to do snacking before bed. That's uh, something that I've had to give up my myself because it was something that I'd I'd enjoy a bit. And intermittent fasting is actually a muscle growth hack. Quote, keep fasting just a few hours past the time when you wake up and your body significantly reduces the secretion of insulin while increasing secretion of human growth hormone or HGH. This is important because HGH aids in cellular repair, encourages fat burning, and assists in the development of lean muscle mass. To maximize the benefits of this process, you should wait at least six hours after rising before you eat your first meal. The next notable type of fasting, it's a little bit more of a challenge, particularly the first time you do it, is the 24-hour fast, which is often called OMAD. OMAD is just a 24-hour fast. You have a meal and you don't eat until you have a meal at the same time the next day. OMAD is a cornerstone of my intermittent fasting regimen, and it should be for yours too. You might be surprised then by what I'm going to tell you next. Doing OMAD every day is a terrible idea. Fasting purists get their hackles up when they hear that. But after 10 years of answering people's questions about fasting on my blog, I've lost track of the number of people who feel great on OMAD style intermittent fasting, vow to do it every day, and regret their decision two to four months later when they have to climb out of a health hole they dug for themselves. Intermittent means intermittent. If you do OMAD every day, expect to see your sex hormone levels fall. And this applies to both men and women. Your sleep quality drop and your hair thin. And I'll add to this, OMAD is an especially good idea if you're of northern or European extraction and live somewhere you get four seasons. Your ancestors for tens of thousands of years went without frequent feeding during cold winter months. And the echoes of their deprivation reverberate through your genes as the cold fingers of winter caress the back of your neck. And you'll benefit from seasonal signaling of scarcity to your biology. Next type of fasting is the 36-hour fast. 
Quote, the 36-hour fast is my favorite because it is vanishingly easy. I go to sleep, that's eight hours of fasting, then have bulletproof coffee for breakfast so my energy is high and my blood sugar is low, lunchtime rolls around and I'm not hungry. I tell myself I might have dinner, which makes my body stop thinking about food, but at dinner, I tell myself, hey, skip dinner and sleep on it, and you'll get another eight hours of fasting. That'll be 32 hours. When I wake up, I find I don't even want breakfast. I have no hunger at all. By the time I eat lunch, I really only had to skip one meal, dinner the night before. A 36-hour fast without feeling denied or even very hungry is entirely possible. And perhaps you've tried multi-day fasts before and found that you had a lot of trouble getting to sleep or woke up in the middle of the night feeling anxious. And Dave's solution to this is to eat a very small amount of carbs. So something like white rice or potatoes, or you could have honey before bed. And this doesn't totally uh, get the gears of your metabolism running and uh, diminish the effects. It's not fully breaking your fast, but it signals to your body just a bit that it doesn't need to freak out depriving you of sleep. And it's also important to switch things up. Quote, for maximum impact, I recommend regularly changing not only the duration of your fast, but also the style. You might try a high protein breakfast with plenty of fat on Monday, OMAD on Tuesday, intermittent fasting on Wednesday, OMAD on Thursday, intermittent fasting on Friday. On Saturday, you eat whatever the heck you want. Then on Sunday, you cycle back to OMAD. You are making your body stronger by cycling into and out of lipolysis and ketosis. So yeah, you don't want to do the same thing every single day because your body is always reaching for uh, homeostasis. And when you throw a lot of challenges at your body, then it becomes more adaptive. It becomes more uh, dynamic in its metabolism. Next, let's talk about fasting as a economic life hack. So have you ever thought biohacking is so expensive? All these products, supplements, and organic food, how the heck do you afford all this stuff? So habituating just two types of fasting, the intermittent daily fasting and once a week OMAD, cut the number of meals that you eat weekly nearly in half. And 
I'm not sure if you've done an accounting of your grocery budget. I hear groceries are getting more expensive a lot of places in the world, but this can free up a significant amount of money and time that can be invested in high-quality organic food, supplements, or, heck, Bitcoin. And then you'll be able to uh, afford all the biohacking stuff you want after the next halvening cycle when the, uh, when the value multiplies inevitably. Next, let's talk about fasting as a nootropic. Quote, when you skip eating for a whole 24, hour f- 24 hours, your senses sharpen and your focus increases. The less toxic material you have in your bloodstream and lymphatic system, the higher your ability to reason. This is because the tremendous amount of energy that your internal organs normally require for digestion is now being shunted to the brain. And there was another book that I reviewed a while back, Food Forensics by Mike Adams, and it was a drier book, but it basically just details how horrifically rife with toxins modern life is. And unless you're going to uh, go, go live in a cave permanently away from civilization, your body is just going to be dealing with a lot of toxins. And your body expends a lot of energy that could be going to your brain, filtering out those toxins, getting rid of them, doing the natural detoxific- detoxification. And so when you fast, your body gets to deal with a lot of toxins and then it starts to send energy up here. I'm tapping on my head for those of you listening to the podcast. Let's talk about sleep. There is some evidence that sleeping on your left side can reduce pressure on the stomach, which is a good habit when you go to sleep on a full stomach. The rest of the time, sleeping on your right side is good for your heart. That's kind of interesting if you've ever wondered which uh, side of your body you should be sleeping on. I think there's a particular religion that tells people which side to uh, to sleep on. But yeah, if you've been wondering about that, I think I usually tend to sleep on my left side, but I usually am not sleeping, going to sleep with a full stomach, so I should probably switch over to the right. I'll try to do that. Next, a fun fact. If you want to impress your friends with an argument for drinking alcohol, here it is. Alcohol causes a short-term increase in body temperature and raises your heat shock proteins. That's why snow rescue dogs used to carry a little cask of brandy on their collars so that hypothermic people could get a quick burst of heat from drinking it. 
that's kind of interesting. And with alcohol, the bottom line is that long term, a lot of alcohol, it does not, it gives you a burst of heat, but it does not give you uh, sustainable heat to uh, bust another myth. Next, let's talk about fasting as a spirituality hack. This was actually a major focus of the book. Quote, the simple act of denying your body food can be a significantly more expansive spiritual act than meditating or solitude alone. If you use fasting to deepen your faith or expand your consciousness, or even if you just keep yourself open to these possibilities, you will achieve much better results than if you focus narrowly on goals of weight loss or longevity. When you approach fasting this way, there is a wonderful humility to it. So I would suggest if you're a spiritual, religious kind of person that you occasionally uh, are trying to probably suss out uh, a particular issue with, with your spirituality, with the, uh, with the relation between yourself and the divine. And when you reach these points, Maybe take on one of those 36-hour fasts or maybe even longer. And I think, I suspect that there will be epiphany awaiting. In fact, I would love it if those of you out there tried this and then sent me a message. Let me know what you uncovered. The book also talks about holotropic breathing. Quote, in fact, I've seen more through holotropic breathing than I have through experiencing ayahuasca. You can have experiences like that too. Some people practice it alone, but that's not for the faint of heart. I recommend that you find an expert in holotropic breathing and try it when you are doing a spiritual contemplative fast. You won't be sorry. So that's kind of a cool idea. Holotropic breathing, I've actually not tried that. I did try ayahuasca once and I was pretty un underwhelmed by the experience of the ayahuasca itself. But yeah, holotropic breathing is supposed to uh, deliver you into kind of this cool hallucinogenic kind of state and you're going to be more uh, sensitive. You're going to be more open to this if you're fasted. And so these would be kind of spirituality hacks that you could stack for when you are in need of a spiritual clarity and epiphany in regards to something. And he also describes in the book a lucidifying effect. Quote, Go for a walk in the forest when you are immersed in a fast and observe the woods around you. Everything is a different color than you remember it being. The leaves on the trees are vibrantly green. Your senses are 
wide open. Most of the time we sit with our senses partially closed off because we don't need all the information they have to offer. We already have more food than we need and more information, more distractions than we need. When you do a spiritual fast and you spend some time in nature, the whole world's a different place. Oh boy, that sounds that sounds like a really cool thing to uh, to do. I'll be uh, I'll be having my eyes on my uh, my hiking boots for that. Next, let's talk about sex and fasting. Good news on this front. Expect an epic orgasm because your brain will be powered by ketones and you will be in a slightly altered state. It's just that you'll regret it in the morning. If you're a woman and you have sex during an extended fast, your orgasms will likely be more intense as well. You don't read about it often, but both men and women can have intense spiritual visions during orgasm. Sex and fasting together make it far more likely. So I hope that you will try that one out with your uh, with the significant other that I hope you have in your life. You won't be able to experience that one from uh, porn or masturbation alone. Next big topic that I'm sure you're wondering about is fasting and supplements. And many people will question, can I take supplements while fasting? And on this point, Dave suggests that that is generally okay although there's a few supplements that you are going to want to avoid during fasting. You're not going to want to take B vitamins, multivitamins, fish oil, or like iron and multimineral supplements. So what supplements might you want to take on fasting days? First of all, and this one surprised me a little bit, is activated charcoal from the book. This is the number one supplement I suggest taking during a fast, yet most people overlook it. It isn't sexy, I guess. And I just burped, which also isn't sexy, but I cut it out of the podcast for your listening experience about the charcoal. It traps toxins and chemicals in your gut, preventing them from being absorbed into your bloodstream. Instead, these poisons become a part of whatever fat you're carrying around. They leave your body as waste products. Here's one more really cool thing about activated charcoal. It will reduce the severity of your cravings during your fast. It's startling. You get cravings, you take charcoal, and now you don't feel hungry anymore. And the recommended dose is between 1 to 10 1,000 milligram capsules away from medications. And you want to take less if you get constipated. 
and you can take most vitamins and medications that say with food with a bulletproof coffee because the fat helps absorption and you will still be fasting. Even a small amount of fat, like one teaspoon of C8 MCT oil plus one teaspoon of grass-fed butter. This is enough for the uh, absorption of whatever, whatever you do need to take. Dave also suggests doing a supplement fast. Regardless of whether you're fasting or not, there's a case for occasionally mixing up or skipping what you take. It's that you don't want your body to get uh, metabolically lazy by downregulating its own production of protective compounds. This is another example of how the body hates consistency. And this might be interesting to some of you. Dave is no fan of BHB ketone salts. Quote, I believe that taking ketone salts regularly is not a good idea. In the last interview he gave before he passed away, Richard Bud Veach, the world's most experienced ketone researcher, who studied ketosis for more than four decades, that's longer than I've been alive, told me that ketone salts cause mitochondrial harm. Are they safe for short-term use as during a race? Almost certainly. Do you want to take them regularly? Probably not. So I tried a BHB ketone supplement and I loved it. Uh, it tasted amazing. It assuaged my hunger some, and it was energizing. But yeah, I think on the advice of Richard Bud Veach, I wouldn't take uh, supplemental ketones often. Perhaps people want to debate me on that. And I've got a cool thing to share with you. Recently, while I'm doing my fasting, intermittent or 24-hour, I sip Infaceuticals. And you're going to want to watch my video review on this where I go deeper. Infaceuticals are non-pharmacological, side-effect-free, side downloadable, yes, downloadable derivatives of supplements and medicines that take advantage of the phenomena of water memory. And these infaceuticals are imprinted on water. In fact, I have infaceuticals imprinted on this very water right here. And this happens via quantum co-location and electromagnetism using this device, which is the IC pad by Infopathy. And infaceuticals typically have about a third or maybe half the effect of the actual medicine that is being imprinted. 
But I have noticed, and this is what's really cool for the, the fasting folks out there, I've noticed that the uplifting effects on mindset and mood of the infoceuticals are more noticeable while I am fasting. It's actually pretty cool. The other day, I was on a 24-hour fast, and I drank the psilocybin infoceutical twice, and I didn't have any crazy hallucinations or anything like that, but yeah, it kind of put me in a, in a, in a cool mood, and I sat down to eat dinner with my wife, and we were joking about all sorts of things. If you can shell out for the Infopathy device, if you're willing to try it, try it while fasted, and you're you're gonna be uh, you're gonna have a little bit of an experience. And if you're skeptical of Infopathy and the idea of infaceuticals, that's understandable. It's a game-changing application of a little-known scientific phenomena water memory. But I'd urge you to watch my other review on it, read my article about it, and evaluate the scientific evidence that downloadable medicine is no longer science fiction. Next, let's talk about fasting for the fair sex. And yes, I'm going to be politically incorrect and acknowledge that there are two sexes two genders, and one of them is often fairer. Okay, quote, The good news is that all available evidence suggests that women have just as much to gain from fasting as men do, especially when it comes to preventable disease. But, on the other hand, even without fasting, unending ketosis suppresses menstruation. It is not an appropriate diet for women over long periods of time unless you cycle into and out of it on a regular basis, at which point it is fantastic. So the ladies should maybe not be quite so stringent with the intermittent fasting every single day. Or they should at least make sure that they are doing it in the way Dave prescribes with the bulletproof coffee so that the body is getting some fat um, in the morning time. And Dave adds, this is hugely important. Never fast when you are pregnant. And that just seems like common sense to me. Next point, don't let fasting stress you. Remember that fasting can cause more than just physical stress. This is true of all types of fasting, but especially of OMAD, because it is the longest fast you can do in one day. Restricting yourself to one meal a day can be taxing to your mind if you obsess over food all day. Take care of your stress levels by practicing yoga, meditating, exercising, really whatever helps you find your zen. Important point to take 
there when fasting, you want to be a little bit more disciplined about your other stress management hacks. Meditation is great and will often relieve food cravings. And like me, you probably tell yourself some days, oh, I'm too busy today. I don't have time to meditate. But hey, if you're on a 24-hour fast, you're, you're saving some time with your, uh, with your meals. You can get in a meditation session. He also talks about dopamine fasting in the book describing it. The purpose of a dopamine fast is to abstain from anything that causes your body to secrete dopamine, a neurotransmitter that is closely associated with our pleasure sensors and can play a role in reinforcing addictions. Eating spicy or sweet food causes a dopamine spike so does having a lot of social interaction in person or on social media. Just about all of life's pleasures give you a dopamine hit. Gaming, watching TV or pornography, gambling, shopping, and having sex. Oh, and drugs and alcohol, of course. The intent of a dopamine fast isn't to make yourself miserable. It's to allow your dopamine receptors to take a break so that when they come back online, you'll become more sensitive to dopamine. When you stop the fast, which normally lasts two to seven days, you'll find that everything you do feels more pleasurable. And I'll add to this, I was just thinking about modafinil and part of the reason why people like modafinil, why modafinil can be such a powerful smart drug nootropic is because it really hits those dopamine receptors. So if you are, and there's some reason to believe that chronic modafinil use is going to result in desensitization of those receptors. That's not really what we want. So if you're a, a moda head out there, if you're using modafinil with some frequency, like a couple times a week, or I know some of you are using it like every single day, doing seven days, doing a couple of days of this intentional dopamine fasting, when you're like, no television, no, none of these things that normally give you pleasure if you uh, go kind of into monk mode for about seven days, that's going to balance out some of what the modafinil might be doing to you. And another cool point, according to one famous estimate from Oak Ridge National Laboratory, 98% of the atoms in your body are replaced every year almost all of your cells are replaced every seven years. Matter moves through you. Energy moves through you. Yet somehow you remain you. Ideally, a steadily improving version of you. But you all the same. 
Oh boy, that kind of opens up a philosophical rabbit hole, doesn't it? And right now I am reviewing the book, uh, Why Science is Wrong About Nearly Everything. And this is a book done by a podcaster, Alex, and he's got a crazy Greek last name that I'm not going to try to pronounce. And the book is basically looking, the uh, title of it may be off-putting, because the book is basically looking at the scientific evidence that our consciousness, that our essence uh, as human beings is something more than the observable biological constituent parts of us. So look forward to that review from me on this channel. And fast this way is uh, surprisingly philosophical at points. I'll quote from the last chapter. Are you going to let fear run you? as if you were standing defenseless on the savanna in front of a hungry tiger. If you're in that situation, I, I, I hear you just want to throw a roll of toilet paper and the toilet paper will distract the tiger. The tiger will run off from the, it'll run off and chase the, the toilet paper and then you can get out of there, come back with your hunting buddies and, and, and get your revenge on, on that. On that tiger. Although I hear there may be toilet paper shortages. So back to what Dave said. If so, as Seneca says, there will be no limit to your miseries. Find the thing that is most important to you, the thing that is the most scary, the thing you honestly believe you could never go without for any length of time, then fast from that. Go without, even if for just one day, just long enough to make you uncomfortable. Then look in the mirror and see if you like the person who's there. I promise you that you'll like that person better than you did before. This is the magic of fasting. So the book gets five solid stars from me. It captures the state of the art science on the ancient practice of fasting. It is packed with pragmatic takeaways and the storytelling is in it is compelling. So this is a book that I would recommend that everyone read. There's a version of it on Audible as well. So you might want to consume it that way. I don't recommend all books, but fasting, like I said, it saves you money. And then there are myriad uh, benefits to it. So I do recommend this one. I put the book down, wondering where I could do a four-day spiritual fast in a cave like Dave. So 
as I requested previously, please do give this an upvote, a share, a comment. When you're inevitably getting into discussions with friends and family and they are talking about, oh, I've gained a little bit of weight. Oh, I'm worried about COVID. Oh, food prices, grocery prices are going up. Share this with them and maybe you can get them on board the uh, the fasting train, which is going good places. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, looking forward to a continued conversation with you.